Internet Brand Strategist, Sandra Beck, interviews top business coaches, speakers, authors, and thought leaders to bring you the best business tips, tricks, and techniques to give your idea the best possible chance for success. From writing your first novel, to telecommuting from home, to taking your small business to infinity and beyond. Now here's your host, Sandra Beck. Hey everybody, this is Sandra Beck and do I have a treat for you today. I have Patricia Wilkinson and she wrote a great book called How to Raise Smart, Confident Kids and Have Fun Doing It K-5. through Who said kids don't come with instructions? Now, Brain Stages is a comprehensive grade-by-grade guide through the elementary school years. And those of you who are currently in what I call active duty parenting, this is both for my military show and for my traditional or non-military mom show. You can listen to both Motherhood Talk Radio and Military Mom Talk Radio. But the early years, the kindergarten years, are really what I call active duty parenting. And I'm so glad to have Trish here today to talk about some of these things because it's like that book, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. You know, these kids come out, here they are, and if you have more than one, like I do, you're in for a big surprise that they can be completely different. Same parents, same genetics, same house, same conditions, made in the same bed even. And they come out completely different. So we're going to talk about that today with Trish Wilkinson. I want to let you guys know she did not pay any promotional materials, money, anything for today's show. She's a referral from a friend. I looked at her book. I thought it was fantastic. And we're going to talk about brain stages. We're going to talk about best tips because there's so much information out today that can really help parents of K through five children, or I would say even pre-K to six, because, you know, every kid's different, and wherever they fall on there, some may take a little time, some may get it really quickly. You got to flex and fold, so here we are. Tris Wilkinson, welcome to the show. Hi, great to be here. So let's talk about, just let's talk about you first. Let's talk about your background so that our listeners know who they're, they're listening to. Oh, okay. Well, so I started this whole road (laughs) actually, I don't know, many years ago um, because I had taught all the grades from kindergarten through sixth grade. And I thought raising kids would be a piece of cake because I had already taught kids and worked with kids for 14 years by the time my husband and I decided to have kids. So I thought, oh, no problem. This will be easy. And then God gave us a couple of kids who had special needs. So we had one child who had severe anxiety and another child who was diagnosed with ADHD. And then they had things like auditory processing problems. And anyway, we just got this whole mess of genetic stuff that we didn't expect. And so here I thought, here I'm supposed to be a kid expert and I don't know what to do with these kids. And I had taught all of these grades for all this time. And so that's kind of what started this whole brain stages journey and creating a grade by grade guide. Cause I'm one of the few teachers who has taught all the grades um, full time at one time or another. And I've taught in public and private school. And then I had these issues with our own kids. And I thought I'm 
failing, you know, I mean, they were having a really hard time. So I did a ton of research and my background is in recreation. My undergraduate degree is in recreation with an emphasis in therapeutics. So I did a lot of things and I used to be a singer. I had my own band. So I did a lot of things already in the classroom with music and, um, and play. So I do a lot of that in my parent coaching with clients now. Um, but I had to go a little farther and really research, okay, where are kids supposed to be? What are they supposed to learn? How are their brains developing? What's, what's going on with that? And a lot of these things, the brain research wasn't even out yet because a lot of it's brand new. So, um, I, so now I look at the research because I've kind of become a research junkie, <laughs> um, a, a science junkie. And, um, and now I know why a lot of these things worked. I mean, before I didn't have a clue. I just, it was trial and error. Oh, that didn't work. Oh, that was a disaster. Wait, wow, that worked great. I'm going to do that again kind of thing. Um, and so ended up with a collection of those kinds of things. <laughs> so that's where we are now. Now I, now I coach other people and help other people raise successful kids because, you know, our, our, we live in a competitive, complicated world, especially now with COVID. But I mean, it was difficult already. And now it's been just extra difficult. There we go. So especially for uh, kids who are exposed to technology, like in my case, my kids are really into technology and their social skills, not so much. And, you know, both of them have, you know, tested on the spectrum for Asperger's high functioning. So, you know, we have this wonderful technological world that suits them perfectly, but very much so doesn't allow the growth of other skills. And I, you know, noticed some things differently. Like with my older son, I had a birthday party for him. And in the middle of the birthday party, he built a fort in the middle of the living room, wouldn't let anyone in, put his flashlight on and was reading a book and tuning the whole party out. Meanwhile, you know, here I am thinking, I built this beautiful party for my kid, it's gonna be so great. Didn't want anybody to sing to him, didn't want anybody to talk to him, he wanted to go in his tent and have his quiet time. And I think, you know, when we were growing up, Trish, that would be like a spanking, that would be get out here and, you know, you know that's impolite, all these things, I think we have greater understanding of our kids' needs and the challenges they have. And I think it's very hard to know where the line is between this is tough for my kid and raising a snowflake. <laughs> and raising a snowflake. Um, I, you know what? I think life is all about balance though. And the truth is that we had a similar experience with our daughter. We had this big party for her. It was real, supposed to be really exciting and she did well at first, but she was the one who had high anxiety. So after a while, all of a sudden we looked around and she was missing and we found her upstairs playing in a room quietly by herself. <laughs> but I don't, I mean, I'm so glad that today we don't punish kids for things like that. And we do try to understand that there are things going on. And now we know there are things going on in their brains. If they get extra cortisol, the stress hormone that's building up in their amygdala and the, the emotion center in their brain, then 
what I've learned is, is kind of how to redirect the brain. That's what I do through games. So there are a ton of games in brain stages mm -hmm. to kind of break them out of that, that anxious feeling or wherever they are like that. Like, for example, one of them is called add a move where you do a move, they copy your move and add another one. Then you do the first two moves and mm -hmm. add another one. And, and it seems like such a little activity, but what it does is it gets them out of their emotion centers of their brain and gets them into their prefrontal cortex or the thinking areas of their brain so that they can just, and you can just kind of watch them relax. And, and once they get in, once we can redirect where their thinking is, then they seem to be able to function and do other things a lot better. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, so I think it's better. I mean, I'm glad with your son, you were just like, okay, well, he's in a tent reading his book because that's what he needed to do at that time. Right. Right. So, and, you know, and I think when you have one kid like mine who completely shuts down, then, you know, fast forward to same age birthday party for second kid. Second kid is very, very social, hyper social, gets ramped up through the roof social. <laughs> and so I'm like, wow, both kids, similar diagnosis, if you will, completely different manifestations of things. One gets, you know, whipped up to the, to the top and the other one goes in a tent. So, you know, parenting is tricky. Oh, parenting is so tricky. And like you say, because kids are so individual, it's so individual for parents. But there are, you know, there are some universal things you can do. Like I, I would argue playing a little game like Adam, and I'm just going to that as an example. Yeah. But playing a little game like Adam move works for the kid who is in his tent and by himself because yeah. it kind of gets out and it's something fun to do. In fact, I have a client who she and her son, he has high anxiety and they call it the distraction game. They don't even call it out of move. She's like, okay, distraction game. And she'll do a move and then he'll do a move. And then, and then he just, ah, he can breathe and calm down and start to think again. And then um, she has another child who has similar issues, but, it, but calm, more withdrawn, same kind of thing. And she'll say, okay, let's play out of move. She calls the game for her daughter who has kind of opposite things going on and being able to play the game, they can play it all together, even though it's solving different problems because it's still getting them out of that emotion center of their brain and into the thinking area of their brain. Like your son who is withdrawing, he was, that was his way of getting himself out of the emotion centers of his brain and into his thinking centers. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, I think when you're confronted with these things, you have to go with your gut. You know, like my gut said, this is probably not something to yell at either kid for. Not that we want to yell at our kids for every little thing, but, you know, this is something, this is a big deal. Well, and I've noticed with kids too, if we can just say what we see, acknowledge what we see, and even maybe put a name on what we see, for example, um, your child, I see your, you know, I see you've occupied yourself in your tent. Um, you look contented here and then, and then just let him talk. And he would probably let you know what was going on and how he ended up in there, you right. know, 
or or your your child who's really way up if for me like for my child let's let's do it with my kids since it was my experience when i had one of each one of them we would withdraw the other one would just be wild and we called her our broken volume knob because because <laughs> she would get so loud and and so we would say wow you wow you look really excited oh yeah well blah, blah, blah. and she'd go on for a little bit and then it would give her the space to calm down kind of thing yeah. but if we if we could just say um you know, if, if we could just acknowledge what we saw and give it a name, you seem really excited or, or you seem really content or whatever and let them talk, a lot of times they'd be able to work through whatever was going on and then be able to even out enough to participate again kind of thing. Right. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's very tricky. So let's talk about, you know, we were going to talk about neuroplasticity and the brain and how it relates to these. Um, what what do you think is is important for for parents to know today i think one of the things that's really important is we kind of our kids will do things when they're little and then we kind of assign them roles and we don't even know we're doing it and our brains are scientists call it plastic which sounds weird i mean whatever they call them plastic i i picture a ziploc bag or something you know and that's not what they're talking about at all they're talking about how we're born with certain propensities or certain things going on in our brains but that our brains are very malleable that parents okay. actually have a lot more power than we realize so if we can do things like what I, what I mentioned to you, our kids react a certain way and we just tell them what we see and put a name on the emotion. And sometimes we're wrong. We can say, wow, you seem really contented here. And your son may have said, I'm not content at all. I, I don't like all these people here. And I mean, he may have communicated something completely different than what you were seeing. Right. And even that just helps him work it out. And with us allowing them to work things out in their head and be good listeners, we actually exercise those neural pathways in their brain for problem solving. For, so parents can do a lot just because we think of our kids as having, you know, whatever issues they have, we can help them recreate those things by allowing them the space for their neural pathways to develop because Hopefully we are always in the process of developing, but the first 25 years of life, we used to think, you know, by the time kids were out of school and high school, they were ready to roll. But now we know, scientifically speaking, we can tell from what's been going on with the brain research all over the world that our brains aren't fully developed until we're at least 25. Wow. So, and that's huge. You know, a lot of times when you're thinking, oh, you're acting like such a baby. It's because wherever that emotion is for that child, yeah, that's where they are in their development for that particular thing at that moment. And that's okay. So if we can just, you know, tell them what we see and acknowledge that emotion, then we can let them grow for, and listen, then we can let them grow from there. But I think a lot of times we want to fix things for kids right away. You know, we want to, um, they, they have a problem and we want to just fix it. Whereas if we, support them in coming to their own conclusions, even if we're guiding them with what we already have in our heads. But if we can guide them to fixing their own problems, 
then, or just their own issues or questions or whatever, developing autonomy like that, that's such huge growth through their brains. Because if you could tell what's going on in their brains, there are all kinds of areas, it's, it's those kinds of conversations are working at once. And, and what, do you know what the number one thing that scientists have found all over the world conclusively is the number one thing parents can do to raise successful kids? What? Across socioeconomics. Doesn't matter how much education you have. Doesn't matter how much money you make, what culture you come from. None of that matters. It's two-way conversations with your kids. So how much are you talking to your kids? And if you're spending time talking and listening, because I did say two ways. A lot of times we talk a lot and our kids listen. (laughs) And if we encourage our kids to talk as well and be good listeners, just um, nodding our heads, going, hmm, and oh, and, you know, just letting them know that we're really listening, that is huge for developing neural pathways and actually developing their brains. So if our kids have issues, um, like mine, you know, my kids with anxiety and ADHD, both of them have lots of tools now. They're 20-somethings now, and they're very successful. But getting them there was, whew, <laughs> it was, like you say, it was tricky. And, and a lot of that was, you know, having a lot of conversations and letting them talk and, and present, you know, not solving their problems right away, which I had to learn all this the hard way, you understand. I started right out trying to solve all their problems. Sure. <laughs> Um, but, but it turns out when I would let them, you know, kind of talk through and work out their own problems, they ended up applying that to all kinds of things throughout their lives, school, social relationships, all kinds of stuff. I think, you know, it's, it's, every parent makes a lot of the same mistakes, I think, in the beginning. You know, I, I see it in young parents. I recognize my own thing about, you know, you want to, you want to protect your kids. You want to, um, you know, my kids had to go through the court system with a very ugly divorce with, with their dad and, you know, new blended families on the dad's side, you know, very difficult things and you want to protect your kids. But what I realize now is that so many of these things are just teaching our kids lessons. You know, they're not designed to hurt them as much as we want to believe, but it's a necessary part of growing up. And who's to say learning it at 10 versus learning it at 30 is necessarily a bad thing. Right. Exactly. Because we all do things on our own time. So, and, and that's part of what brain plasticity is. Every single brain, it's like a, a fingerprint. Every single brain is different. So we can figure out kind of what, what general things happen in different ages and what general things that help. But there, no matter what, there's a certain amount of trial and error. The main right. thing for parents to realize is that our kids' brains are plastic. They are malleable. And that even if it looks like our kids have difficulties in one area or another, we can really be influential in improving whatever that situation is. For example, I have a friend who had a son at two. Well, now her son is 20. But at two, the doctors told her that he would never walk or talk or have any kind of functional life. He was just basically going to be 
he had this brain issue and he was just basically going to be non-functional. And she just said, I, I'm sorry, I've done research in this and I don't accept that. And fast forward, granted, she worked really hard. She did a lot of research. She had a lot of support along the way because she seeked out resources. But um, her 20-year-old son just graduated high school. He has a full-time job. He, so he makes his own money. He is a lifeguard. He has a black belt in, I can't remember which martial art. But my point is, she, it was baby steps, and she worked really hard, and, and his development wasn't what people would consider normal, but he's a very functional and lovely human being. I mean, you would love him. <laughs> so, so my point in saying that is that even if, if our kids are diagnosed with one thing or another, it doesn't mean that they are doomed. You understand what I'm saying? We have a lot of influence. We may have to adjust our expectations, because, but it doesn't mean that, you know, they're not going to be successful humans as, you know, when they grow up or whatever. Well, and I think that's all about the parent. You know, like I look at, there's a lot of fear-based parenting, you know, I'm just keeping, I'm doing this because I'm keeping you out of jail in the future kind of parenting. <laughs> and it's seriously, you, you've really just transported this six-year-old, you know, who took a crayon that he didn't, wasn't supposed to, maybe he knew it, maybe he didn't. Nobody knows the intentions, at, you know, at five years old. I mean, they're not, they're not even fully formed between fantasy and reality at that point. So to say that this, you're, you're going to punish this kid to make sure you keep him out of jail when he's 25 is just your projection, your projection of what your own fears are and your own failures as a parent. And we all have them, but you can't let them run amok. Right. And, and that is um, <clears throat> another one of the things that I do. I, I have a digital course and a lot, and one of the whole first part of the digital course of the first module is about self-care because I think when we get our own heads in a good space to be patient with our kids and to figure out what our own fears are and to come up with, I have a really simple thing that I have parents do is, you know, once they figure out what's going on, um, I think it really helps because for example, I had a hard time with respect, um, because of things that had gone on in my family. So when my older daughter would be disrespectful, there were times where I would just lose it. Sure. (laughs) And, and I thought, I work with kids. I get, I mean, if I worked in the classroom like this, I, I, I mean, that just, it never occurred to me that this would be an issue. And so I had to figure out, okay, what is causing this and what do I do about it? <laughs> so I kind of came up with this thing and it wasn't just me. I mean, I did, a, I did a lot of research. I talked to professionals. I, you know, I mean, it wasn't like this all came out of my head. Um, but just kind of a combination of a little thing that I do when, um, when, I, when I sense something coming up, because our bodies will let us know ahead of time. Have you noticed that? Yes. Like absolutely. when something's coming up for us with our kids or, or just anything in general, like for me, I get this kind of hollow feeling in my gut and, yep. and a little bit short of breath. Some people have heat come over their face. I mean, there are all kinds of different physical cues people get. Sure. But, 
But when I get that physical cue, I know I have learned stop immediately, take a deep breath. And usually I focus on my feet because I'm tall. So my feet are on the floor, whether I'm sitting or standing. Okay. <laughs> and it's just, and it's just like a grounding thing for me. I have um, several of my clients, they'll talk about uh, focusing on their shoulders or their lower back or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Everybody right. has a different physical part, but just take a deep breath, focus on that physical, whatever anchor you've chosen. And then I, for me, I tell myself, you can do this because my doubt has always been, can I really do this or not? I mean, like when writing brain stages, it was like, oh my gosh, can I write a full length book that's a grade by a grade guy? Who am I to think that, you know, sure, I've taught all the grades and raised kids, but who am I to think that I'm some kind of authority kind of thing? Right. And the book came out and I wrote it with Jackie Frischnecht, who since, who is a PhD, who had done a lot of brain research, um, who has since passed away, which was very sad. I mean, her life's work, her dream was to get this book out to parents. And um, so I was happy to be able to do that for her, but I wish she was here to help yeah, <laughs> or, or to participate. I mean, what an amazing lady. Anyway, um, but, but the point I'm making is that parents actually have, have a lot of power and we learned a lot of things the hard way. So basically what we're doing is when we can get our own heads right, we can create it so that, oh, I... I want to back up one more second because I didn't finish that. Okay. Feel that physical feeling, take a deep breath, and then give yourself a phrase that you know ahead of time so that you're not already in the emotion, then you don't know what to say. Like for me, it's, I can do this. I have an, uh, another person I know who says, um, I am loved because her issue is not feeling loved. There is another person I know that says, I deserve peace because in her life growing up, things were tumultuous. So she tends to make things tumultuous when she's not careful. <laughs> you understand what I'm right. saying? Yeah, I do. So, so just, and like most of us, we say, oh my gosh, I'm so busy raising kids. I don't have time for self-care, which doing that process takes like 30 seconds. And who doesn't have 30 seconds to just stop and say, okay, I'm going to take a deep breath, focus on my physical anchor and tell myself this thing because it, it can completely reset whatever I'm doing to do that. And so, and now a lot of other people I know, but I, I think I originally got that from Mel Robbins, I think, I don't know, um, who is a psychologist, but they're, I mean, there are all kinds of different things to do. My point is, is for plasticity is great. Kids, we can do a lot of things with our kids, but it's also one of the reasons that we can cause damage. Sure. And if we get our own heads right in that 30 seconds, it just makes such a difference to just take those three steps. Absolutely. So when, when people are struggling with their kids how can your book help oh my gosh so this is this is a great thing so say you have a first grader and they're having a hard time learning to read so you go to the kindergarten chapter and you say okay these are all the things kids are supposed to know in kindergarten maybe my child wasn't ready for all those things yet 
And here are a whole bunch of games to play so they can learn all these things and have fun playing with me and other family members painlessly. Does that make Absolutely. sense? Yeah. So then we fill in those gaps. Then they're in first grade and these are the things they're supposed to learn. Okay, what do we do with that? And there's like, there's even a section on pencil grip. A lot of times kids are not taught. They hold the pencil with two fingers up and when, you know, they're all just cockeyed and crazy because we teach kids to write now before their, their muscles are ready. Right. You know, before they have the dexterity to hold a pencil correctly. So they're holding their pencil in all kinds of crazy ways. Right. And, and a lot of times if we can just fix that pencil grip and, and it tells how to do that in a really simple way using scotch tape. <laughs> and if we can just fix that pencil grip for kids, they like writing so much more because if they're holding their pencil all crazy, it's physically uncomfortable for them to write. Sure. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah. just all these kind of little things. Oh, another thing, like if you have a child who has a hard time focusing, I've found a huge help is uh, to give them an earplug, one foam earplug, because it creates this kind of noise that's really relaxing for kids. Right. And it also cuts out just enough sound that, that it just helps them focus on whatever they're doing. It makes I sense. Use, and I did that with both my own children at home and with the kids in my classroom, hundreds of kids over the years <laughs> in all different age groups. And that, that, um, that earplug is actually pretty, pretty magical. Yeah. Does some great things. There are some great things. What, what would you say is the most important thing that you learned from before versus after writing your book? Like, you know, everybody goes through a process when they're writing a book. What, what kind of ahas did you have after completing it? Oh my gosh, several ahas. For example, I didn't realize why a lot of the things worked the way they did when I was raising my kids. And in going through, since Jackie passed away, I had to reread all of her studies and all of her research. And then I had to update all the research because, you know, brand new brain studies are coming out all the time because it's a hot topic. And, and now we have equipment that we didn't have before to be able, like three-dimensional MRI, functional MRI machines that can see what brains are doing in real time. So, <laughs> so in doing all that research, I went, wow. Now I know why Add a Move works. Oh, here's another really cool thing. So, um, so one of the things I knew in raising my own kids and teaching all those kids is that there was a movement and learning connection. And so when kids move, when they're learning, things start clicking in their heads the way they hadn't before. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Right? So when I, when I was teaching... At the beginning of the year, I would always make sure that the kids in my class, whether I taught kindergarten all the way through sixth grade, whether they could jump rope, because being able to jump that rhythm with the middle jump kind of the bounce in between, um, there's something magical about that rhythm. So I would have them jump rope at the beginning of the year, and kids who had been having trouble reading before they could jump rope could actually jump rope you know, actually, once I learned that rhythm, everything would start coming into place. Math, reading, a lot of things would start coming into place. So while I was 
so while I was studying and, and figuring things out for the book, I realized that, or I learned that the caudate nucleus is right next to the hippocampus, these okay. two little teeny things in the limbic system, which run emotions and short term. Anyway, it turns out hippocampus is big on long-term memory. So big, big shot in the brain for learning. And the caudate nucleus is right next to the hippocampus. And it turns out the caudate nucleus handles movement okay. and short-term memory. Wow. <laughs> so the reason this was, so movement, rhythm, short-term memory, and then hippocampus, long-term memory. It turns out exercise and sleep transfer what kids learn in the, um, during the day from short-term right. to long-term memory. In fact, exercise even causes cell division in the hippocampus for healthy new cells and, and building the hippocampus, which is this little thing in your brain, but it does a lot of stuff. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. So now how can people, um, how can people find your, um, you know, how can people find your book and what should they expect from your book? Okay, well, you can find my book pretty much anywhere. You can order it from any outlet. It's on Amazon. Oh, oh, and the audiobook just came out this week. So oh, great, from Audible. From Audible, yes. The audiobook from Audible, and they're actually free things on the brainstages.com website. And, um, and that was a lot of fun. I actually got to record it myself. We were going to hire someone else, and she ended up, becoming ill, which was sad. She's a friend of mine, really good vo voiceover person. Anyway, so, and then people started saying, Trish, you give workshops all the time. People are familiar with your voice. You should do this. So, so I ended up reading the book and it was so much fun. We had such a good time. I, ha I had somebody produce it. Anyway, so that just came out. Um, so that's how you find the book. It, if you go on Amazon, it's available in ebook audiobook now. Yay. Yay. And print. <laughs> and what can you expect? You can expect, you can listen to it beginning to end and find out where kids are and how their brains are developing and games to play all the way along. Or if you're a busy parent like I was, and you have a third grader that's pretty much on grade level, but you just need to know what to do with that child, especially mm -hmm. now with COVID and the kids are at home and they're, they're getting more and more holes in their learning because they've missed a lot of school. Mm -hmm. You can look and each chapter has, this is what, this is kind of where kids' development is. This is kind of where they are socially and what's going on in their brains at that time. And these are all the things they're supposed to learn in school. And here are a bunch of games to play to fill in that learning. Very nice. Very nice. So um, I'd like to give our Amazon code. So uh, Amazon is an Audible company. So you can go to audible.com slash motherhood talk. You can also go to audible.com slash military mom and get some great benefits and get a hold of Trish Wilkinson's book. Um, Trish, any last great information for our listeners? Like if people could just take away one thing from today, other than buy your book, <laughs> you know, but if they could take away one parenting tip today, what would you say is your best parenting tip? I would say the best one is talk to your kids and play with them because it builds trust and environment. I mean, there are a whole bunch of tips I could give you. You can find lots more on the brainstages.com or on my Facebook groups or whatever. Um, but the one biggest thing, 
<clears throat> is, is to talk to your kids and be a good listener. Because a lot of times I think we get into what we're going to say next. And if you can teach your children to be by being respectful of them and listening to them and teach your children about listening to you and having those two way conversations, they will be way ahead of the game because so much has to do with emotional and social quotient. It's really, if, you know, especially with all the online stuff and everything, it's really hard to be successful in our society if we don't develop those skills. And you have the power to help your kids develop those skills just by having as many two-way conversations as possible. I love that. And I think that works for not only your kids. I think it works for your parents. I think it works for your spouse. I mean, those things are so, so important. And I, I love that you brought that up because in the digital age of texting and, you know, social media chats and sending things back and forth, I think it's so important that we, um, that we go back to the fundamental roots of human connection and communication that's been around for, I don't know, 13, 14,000 years versus the phones and texting that's been around for maybe 10. Uh, I want to thank you for being my guest today. Go ahead and check her book out on Audible. Go ahead and get it on Amazon. Her name is Trish Wilkinson. You will be glad you did. We'll be back again next week. On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques on Coach.